0: This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers—they're here to help.
1: He has time launches it to the end
2: zone. Touchdown! Terrence Williams.
0: goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He oh, puts. Oh, he's the one! Red Raider, up the ten. Puts up the right sideline.
1: He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS champion.
0: Welcome everyone to The Republic of Football Sunday Recap Edition. I'm your host Ishmael Johnson joined as always by Mallory Hartley. Hello Mallory.
2: Hello. You're not calling me producer Malpal anymore.
0: Producer Malpa, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I it's it's early. It's Sunday morning. I it's I get I get, I get thrown off.
2: <laughs> I get you. I'll take either.
0: Okay. Producer Malpa, my apologies. And still in El Paso. That's why we're uh, recording this a little bit earlier than we do. Mike Craven. Mike, what's up man?
1: Doing pretty good. Uh still digesting all the good food out here so you know it's been a successful successful weekend
0: yeah you're gonna eat uh eat nothing but kale for the next week uh, to try and <laughs> counterbalance all of that
1: <laughs> yeah smoothies smoothies <laughs> only moving
0: forward uh, good old detox cleanse coming up
2: yeah. uh <laughs> much need everyone's gonna need to after football season is over yeah
0: oh, oh i know right seriously um before we get into that game that was that heading into the week. That was the game we were expecting to talk about to lead off the podcast. That was the game that we were uh you know all hyped about, and for good reason, and we will talk about that uh off the top, but not off the very top, because something something else happened which I did not see coming. Tcu 30, Baylor 28, um Chandler Morris. <laughs> um Well, before before I get into Chandler Morris, the TCU defense came back. I I don't know where that came from. Uh, They frustrated Gary Bahannon. They ended the game, a Shad Banks pick uh, on the final drive. This was a team that uh, looked, I don't want to say dead in the water. They just looked like they needed an infusion, a a little pulse of something, right? Gary Patterson leaves, so it's kind of in a, a weird limbo stage. And you can kind of tell that this was a team that, one, still liked playing for Gary Patterson, right? But also, I think the other thing that I noticed was this is a team that likes Jerry Kill a lot because this was, this was a huge win for him. I tweeted afterward that he's one of the guys in this business that it's hard to, to not root for because of how his career ended at Minnesota with his, his epilepsy and things like that. And he's just one of the most widely respected figures in the game. And so for Gary Patterson, an already beloved figure to leave, and then for Jerry Kill to take over, it was just kind of like, okay, well, we're going to play for obviously Gary Patterson, and then obviously we're going to play for this guy too. And his defense just looked like a totally new unit. Um, I do want to hint on that before we get into Chandler Morris a little bit, because that's obviously the big story coming out of this game.
1: Yeah, it was a really impressive performance by TCU. You know, when a team loses a coach, one of two things happen. Either it all falls apart or you kind of rally together as kind of like us against everybody outside this locker room, right? We already lost our head coach. You know, you know you're the team that after 22 years is the reason that Gary Patterson has gone. You know, that,
0: mm, that kind of
1: yeah. can play on your psyche a little bit. TCU looked like a team that didn't want to be buried. You know, that didn't want the season just to be completely over and written off. Uh, and sometimes it just takes finding one spark, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, Max Duggan's a good quarterback, but sometimes <laughs> it just takes something new out there to kind of get some energy going in. And with his legs, with Chandler Morris's ability to extend plays and kind of get out of some crazy situations and then complete passes, you could tell the confidence and the belief just kind of kept growing and kept growing on that TCU sideline and it. And it went over to the defense. The defense was playing that way, way, way too because when you see your quarterback doing that kind of stuff, now you got to step up your play too. Uh, TCU's kind of owned Baylor in, in recent times. That continued on Saturday. And uh, I think if your coach is looking outside, like if your coach is thinking about this TCU job, it got a lot better Saturday. Because if you know you can walk onto campus with a Max Duggan and a Chandler Morris, you know you have some options at quarterback to go along with a Quentin Johnston and and maybe Zach Evans and then some defensive guys. So it was a really big performance by TCU, an important performance by TCU. And then on the flip side, a heartbreaking loss for Baylor. It's a big game up, up next against Oklahoma. If you win that game, you kind of control your own destiny into the Big 12 title game. And now you're kind of playing from behind, and we'll have to see them face some adversity. Really for the first time all season, because that Oklahoma State loss, you could kind of explain away it's just one loss. Now, now they really have to kind of, you know, figure some stuff out and rebound for next week.
2: Baylor was kind of hunting the in the college football playoff too. And now with that two those two losses, I don't think it's it's in that close reach anymore.
0: Oh yeah. No, they 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 were about a couple a couple of missteps, which is always possible in the sport, um, from all of a sudden being back in the conversation. And I do want to hint on. Uh, Chandler Morris as well, because I think part of his performance had to do with a lot of like, uh, I I don't mean this as a pejorative, but like a lot of ignorant confidence because Max Duggan played behind that offensive line, right? He's used to the pressure that they're going to allow. He's used to, you know, kind of expecting to look over his shoulder. And there was like, there wasn't that with Chandler Morris. They weren't protecting great, right? He was getting hit, but it was more like he's not used to taking those hits. He's not used to facing that pressure. And so he was able to step up a little bit and make some key throws. Um, the one he hit to uh, Quentin Johnson with on the one-handed snag, like it was a great catch, but it was like it still had to be like a perfect pinpoint throw over two Baylor defenders, I believe, in the third quarter. Um, and like those kind of throws in the face of pressure, like I don't know if Max Duggan has the, the patience to make that throw because he's used to getting hit like that, right? He's used to playing behind that offensive line that he says, well – I know I'm probably going to get hit about 10 times this game. And sometimes it's just like that, that blissful ignorance of not having that game time rep. Um, I also think of that, that uh, tackle where he spun out to get away from Jalen Petrie. And it's like, you know, Jalen Petrie had him dead to rights and he just spun out of there and just like kept going. Uh, Like It's part of that, like the, the, the hair on fire in game time, right? You can't simulate that in practice. And that was kind of the thing that, Chandler Morris flashed when we saw him at high school at Highland park, where it's like, Oh, this dude's like an insane athlete that like at Highland park, he's not really getting to show that. Cause like, you know, they're not, he, he's not facing pressure really that much. He's not, you know, he he can kind of stand around and, you know, kind of do something, you know, kind of have his, have his way with defenses. And, but when he did, you were like, Oh, this kid's an athlete. And like, here was you know, obviously a, a way to show this. Um, He finished a 20, uh, completing 29 of 41, 461 through the air, two touchdowns. I think Quentin Johnston loved the idea of having a quarterback who would just let it rip. Like, <laughs> he, he could clear, you could clearly tell he was having a lot of fun. Uh, they had no Zach Evans, which, you know, it didn't matter in the end. But, like, I thought that was huge that Baylor knew that they didn't have to worry as much about the run as maybe other teams of this year, and it didn't matter. Um, of course, if you're Baylor, you're disappointed because we've mentioned how this team makes mistakes and still keeps going and that eventually the other team breaks or stumbles and for the first time this year TCU didn't break or stumble and it just happened to be you know against against a rival and and a, and a a huge a huge win um i joked afterward that after the shad banks pick reading that shad banks at linebacker got a game winning interception against for TCU against Baylor would have sounded completely insane in 2018, considering he was a wide receiver who was going to AM um, as one of the top wideouts in the in the state. Um, but still, he seemed to turn his career around and he seems to be a really reliable starter for them now. Like, I don't know. Like you mentioned, this job looks a lot more interesting now, right? Um, and, and it was already a good job, but now you're starting to see, like, okay, I can build around this guy, I can build around this guy, I can build around that guy. And now who knows going to the future what what uh uh I, I feel like we're gonna see more names come out but who knows what this job is gonna look like now now that you have more pillars to build around
1: you know chandler's a gamer he always he just always has been we throw around that term a lot but he i you know was it that man was it manville that they played in that state championship game where it just like went back and forth and back that and was
0: uh so that was a he was uh that was john Stephen jones but he played the fir- he won the first year against shadow creek Oh, okay. And that shadow Creek team was really athletic and it didn't matter. He just dissected that team. Like, like it was nothing.
1: Yeah. You could tell he was playing with confidence and just nothing to lose. And that's another thing that kind of comes in the middle of the season when you lose your head coach and now you're and on, on your backup quarterback and your star running backs out for the, you know, what did TCU have to lose yesterday? You know, so he didn't mm-hmm. have to play with the rear view mirror. He could just kind of focus forward and just do, you know, play and ball out and, Yeah. I mean, I think everybody on that team really enjoyed kind of the looseness that kind of went along with it because they had been pretty tight the week before. You know, I I think that Kansas State game, you just saw a team that wasn't having a lot of fun, you know, like Mm -hmm. the outside noise was just getting to them. It felt like a team this week that could just breathe and have fun and play football. And they played pretty free. And to your point about Baylor, you know, until the end there, I was just, I I figured they'd win, right? right? You know, like, it was just like, man, TCU's making this a really, a really good game. But Baylor's got the ball back; they're going to figure out a way to do this, and uh, TCU comes up with another big play. So, yeah, hats off, hats off to TCU for how well they perform.
0: Yep, and uh, I think, yeah, the week before. One last thing, I think the week before you know, you could tell they were playing that they were playing like a team that knew a lot of the outside noise about like Gary Patterson's future and things like that. And yeah, just having that, you know, they know the, they knew the outcome, right. It was like, he's gone. All right, let's just see what we have. And let's just kind of play for ourselves and play for the school. And it was, it was very loose and and it seemed like that environment too at Fort Worth. So um, really good win for them this week. And hopefully they can continue that going into the end of the year. You know, if,
2: if they do keep winning, I mean, is there any chance that they keep Jerry kill at head
0: coach.
1: Uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, I would think that they're they to go up. with, uh, you know, like a bigger name, like they're going to have so many options out there that yeah. I, I think they go outside the door, but I think Jerry kill is auditioning for other head coaching jobs, right? Like mm-hmm. let's say North Texas opens, you know, a school, a school of that ilk or something like that. Uh, I think he is auditioning for, for a job. I'm just not sure a TCU because they're going to want to go out and get a splash hire and hire somebody big mm-hmm. just because, they haven't done this in 20 years. They're going to want to go and kind of splash around some money and kind of prove who they are as a program.
0: Yeah. yeah. Moving on to the game we kind of anticipated talking about off the top, UTSA 44, UTEP 23. Um, Mike Craven, you were there, so I'm going to let you take the bulk of it. Uh, but this seemed like uh, – I'm trying to parse how good we know UTSA is versus how much I think we need to come to terms with where UTEP might actually be right now.
1: Yeah. I think that discussion could be had, right? Is this more about UTSA being just a super dominant force in conference USA, or is this more about UTEP collecting six wins against teams that they, they probably should be pretty easily. I mean, that Louisiana tech win by UTEP is probably the only one that's, that's truly impressive. And, those of us who watch a lot of G5 football know Law Tech's not normally what you see in Law Tech this year. So uh, I do think there's some of that. I will say this for UTEP. That place was rocking last right. night. There was 31,000 people. It felt every bit that crowded. Uh, the, the mountain, like the way that the Sun Bowl is built into those mountain cliffs, you know, like the rocks or whatever, makes mm-hmm. it an amphitheater theater kind of feel so it gets really loud in there. It was fun to like see that program have so much life and excitement around it. And it just made it really obvious like how sad it is that they're getting kind of left in conference alignment dust, right? Because it's such a unique venue. You know, you got, you're at the sun bowl, you're sitting there, you're watching football, you turn to the right and it's Mexico. Right. You know, you're looking right. Like it's just this unique experience. That's really cool to college football. And I wish it would, you know, kind of be included in some of the other experiences that we talked about, but for UTSA, team's just a machine man they're just they're just really good at everything right their quarterback is efficient as can be who showed off his legs yesterday he had 286 yards passing he had over 70 yards rushing he counted for four touchdowns and that's before we even talk about sincere mccormick who you know is a freak of nature right takes the second play uh from scrimmage 75 yards for a touchdown sakari uh franklin is one of the better wide receivers in the state that offensive line is good right like spencer buford's going to be a be a draft pick at left tackle. And mm-hmm. then the defense just does everything right. You know, like the safeties tackle, the corners don't allow big plays. The defensive line doesn't get out of position. The linebackers spill. Like it's just an incredibly coached and experienced football team. And it was just too much for UTEP. You can see it from the very beginning that the offensive line and the defensive line for UTSA is just at a different level than UTEP's right now. Yeah. Um, and some of them, that, that's just straight talent, right? And Jeff Trailer inherited that talent. Dana Dimmel's had to put together all of the talent. So it's just a program further along and they were better in the trenches. They had a few more athletes and that was the difference in the game.
0: Yeah. It was, to me, it was like, it was one of the more frustrating. If I was a UTEP fan, it was one of the more frustrating games because I do want to, we know, we've talked about Frank Harris's growth as a player and kind of as a, as a becoming kind of the linchpin this year, as opposed to sincere McCormick the last couple years of that offense and Frank Harris is probably the most frustrating quarterback to watch if you're an opposing team because he doesn't have a strong arm and like his release is a little like shot putty and so you're watching him throw the ball and you're like just knock it down you know like you're, you're like you're watching him throw the ball hit these slant routes as a Franklin. you frankly like just stop it like you're just like you know what's gonna come you know what's gonna happen it's gonna be like not it's not going to be a bullet it's going to be like a little floater and you're like just knock it down just like you're watching the game and you're just like i don't know it felt like the most frustrating game of madden i tweeted out because i'm like just just like you know what's gonna they're gonna run the slant he's gonna hit him over the middle just like knock it down like stick with the receiver and like you can't stop it because he's so pinpoint accurate this year he's gotten so much more accurate with those passes and Zakari franklin gets separations that even the smallest window you know, he's going to catch that ball and he's going to, he's going to make something happen after the catch. And on top of all that, you know, uh, Frank Harris is an insane athlete. So like, even when you think you have pressure on him, he just takes one step, boom, I'm out of, I'm out. Of, I'm in, I'm in the clear. I go for five yards or I just make some, uh, buy myself some more time and then hit somebody else, hit Cephas or, hit, hit, you know, do whatever. And yeah, he, he, it's funny to watch. Cause like, it was like, he reminded me a lot of like, uh, and I think his, his Twitter profile used to be this at Clemens was Lil Vic. Um, I think it was like Lil Vic 7 or something like that And when he was at Clemens. Um, and you got that like 2004 Madden thing from him where you're just like, he's just running backwards and just like making everybody miss and throwing it 10 yards and getting a first down or something. And um, I just love that because the one thing I will say about UTEP this year is that their defense has been really good. Like we talk, we can talk about what their offensive ceiling has been if they're not hitting big plays or whatever. But their defense has stopped teams, right? Louisiana Tech not being the team that we thought they were uh, the past couple of years, their offense is still solid. And UTEP's been that's been the thing that's kept UTEP in this season is that defense and UTSA carved them like it was absolutely nothing. And part of that was them not being able to stop Frank Harris.
1: And, and the thing that makes UTSA so hard to defend is you can't just take one thing away right. and, then, and then win a game, right? Like those slants you're talking about to Zakari Franklin, those are so open because the linebackers can't cheat that direction. You cheat that direction, since Sarah McCormick's going to run for 250 yards and they're going to run the ball 40 times down your throat and you're going to lose that way, yep. right? So you're, you're put in this bind by UTSA that not a lot of programs can do. We're going to talk about SMU later. That's what's happening to SMU. They can't put people in those binds so everybody knows that they're going to have to pass the ball. You can concentrate on that. You can eventually take that away no matter how good it is. You can't Mm -hmm. scheme and take something away from UTSA because they'll just do the other thing. If you don't want sincere McCormick to beat you, they'll throw the ball 40 times a game and they've proven that they can do that against like Western Kentucky. If you want to, you know, dare them to run the football, they'll run Cicere McCormick literally 40 times. We saw them do it against Memphis, right? So it's just a team who knows who they are and are perfectly capable with letting the defense dictate how they want to die. And yeah. that that's the, where you want to be as a team. And then, you know, they let me kind of hang out in the hotel a little bit, you know, prior to the game, kind of leading into the game because it was a late kickoff.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: It's just like, it's just a confident football team. Like how far... That program has gone in 10 years from being like, oh, shucks, we're glad to be here. This is just pretty cool to like a team of monsters who are like only there to take someone's soul. Right. Like a business trip. And, you know, people, coaches say that, right. Business trip, business trip, business trip. But it's a real thing at UTSA. And they just haven't had one of those like let down games yet. You know, and as, as a UTSA grad, like I keep picking against. Right. It's just like, well, they can't keep being this good. Well, they right. can't keep yeah. being this good. Well, they can't keep it. They just are. And I mm-hmm. think it's time we just kind of accept UTSA as one of the top 10, 15 programs in the country this year.
0: Yeah. We're like, we're running, like, we're seriously running out of games for them to let. Like, not, probably, I, I mean,
2: yeah. I don't, I'm looking at their schedule right now. I don't <laughs> think they're going to lose. They have Southern Miss next, UAB, and then North Texas to close out the season. I don't, you don't lose those games if you're UTSA. Southern
1: Miss next week. Right. Should call the police or. <laughs> child protective Maybe services
2: now you're
1: right get some covid going like <laughs>
2: about to say you
1: know, just like, get some COVID. In high, like when we see in high school you know when a game gets canceled and everybody in the nose like yeah i don't that was the business this is business right. just, do, do they have
2: mercy it. Rule it to to college football? Football. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, we may we may see it for the first time this this week
0: <laughs> yeah I, it, yeah it's gonna be uh I will say the Alamo Dome is going to be rocking that uh, next week. So (laughs) they're going to be feeling real confident. Big win on ESPN 2, beatable opponent coming to town. Like that's going to be fun. So, but yeah, no, this team is, it's special, man. But like you said, uh, UTEP, please somebody, uh, please somebody save CUSA because UTEP deserves to be still hanging around. Some UTSA fans were tweeting out like after the game, it was like, I don't want to leave. Like, I don't want to leave. Like, I don't want this to leave our footprint. Right. This, this that's area, all, this, the sun that's
1: all we talked about all weekend. Right. I mean, I went and hung out with them Friday. I went and hung out with them yesterday and stuff like that. And like every UTSA fan I know, um, you know, is like, man, I hope we can just keep this on, on the schedule as a,
0: non-conference like, man. Let's go.
1: Because if you, if you appreciate and love San Antonio, you're going to appreciate and love El Paso, right? Yeah, like it's 1,000%. just sister cities in a lot of ways and stuff. And it's just a, it's an extremely welcoming place with great food, a great atmosphere, great weather, great stadium. So yeah, I, I hope uh, for UTEP's sake, they can, they can figure some stuff out because they deserve it. They deserve mm-hmm. better. There's 2 million people in this you know, area out here, watching football with only one FBS team. Um, when they're good, they mm-hmm. get support and it's a really unique, fun experience.
0: Alrighty, moving on to our last headline game of the week. AM 20, Auburn 3, wrecking crews back. Like, this is the, uh, I was reading some stats, is the fewest allowed uh, points versus the top 15 team by any A&M team since 1957. This is the fewest yards gained by Auburn this year. And, I mean, the only touchdown scored was a scoop and score from Michael Clemens after a Jaden Peavy sack, right? That's about as wrecking crew as you can get. This was a Auburn team that was pretty solid. They weren't, you know, they weren't in an elite offense, but they were really solid. Bo Nix had kind of turned his career around a little bit from being kind of the bust five-star quarterback. And he could not get anything going. I mean, 20 of 41, 153 through the air, sacked four times, had a pick. I mentioned the fumble. I mean, they couldn't run the ball really. I mean, Auburn couldn't get anything going. And for a offensively again we know the formula right hand the ball off make sure you don't mess it up defense is going to keep you in games and that's exactly what happened they got a, they got a bunch of field goals and they got the defense got the big play and that was all they needed AM all of a sudden looking really interesting heading down the stretch in the sec
1: now you and i are both soccer guys right yeah. Yeah, you can watch a soccer game sometimes and go that team could play for a thousand minutes and not score a goal. That's how, right. it, felt, that's how it felt yesterday. Like Auburn could have played for eight quarters and yes. not scored a touchdown against that AM defense. I mean, all you need to know is AM allowed three points. Their defense scored six, right? So they won that game six to three without their offense even touching the field. Like it was a virtuoso performance. It was a tremendous one. And they looked like they were playing with a 12th man, right? Like mm-hmm. I mean, they looked like they had like extra people out there. They were everywhere. Um, they were rocking. Now, I will say this, it's hard to imagine that same type of offensive performance works in Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. you, you got to imagine Lane Kiffin, Matt Corral, they're going to figure out ways to score points. So I do think it is a little concerning. Um, not so much the Zach Calzada stuff. The offensive lines come around, the running game's good. It's the wide receivers, guys. Like mm-hmm. They just don't have consistent play from the wide receivers, if, if like a Demond Demas was like living up to that potential and being that like over the top consistent threat, this team would be unstoppable. Cause that's really the only thing they're missing is a deep threat to make other defenses kind of keep them honest. And so, you know, after over this last month, since that Alabama game, we've really seen the A&M team that we thought we were going to see before the season. And it just makes those two losses uh, hurt even more. I'd imagine because, in a year where the college football playoff is wide open, you know, this A&M team would be right there knocking on the door. Had they not blown those, those two games to start the sec.
0: Yep. Second largest crowd in Kyle field history. One, uh, I believe it was tapped out at one Oh nine thousands. So uh, recruits saw that game. I mean, that's like, that's a second probably elite environment. There was the recruits have seen on a home visit, right. Obviously Alabama and now this one and, I mean, there's a reason why, again, we can keep reiterating, this is, there's a reason why Jimbo Fisher was hired, and it's for these type of games, right? It's these big-time performances against other big-time programs. And I believe that was also their first win over Auburn at Kyle Field, like, it, since joining the SEC. That's monstrous. So, yeah, considering where we, where we were on this AM team, complete turnaround, and this program has a lot of swagger behind it, and that's saying a lot considering where we thought they were.
1: They also picked up the number one recruit in the 2022 class yesterday. True and then the wide receiver Chris Marshall from Fort Bend Marshall. So, or yeah. So like, I mean, a really good day to to be an a uh, to be an Aggie, and uh, it really helps. Like you said, that's one of the things about the SEC that that really helps is you can have those big time game feels multiple times a year in your home stadium. And in recruiting, that stuff's contagious, man. You're a 16, 17-year-old kid, and you hear 109,000 people at night screaming and going crazy. I mean, why wouldn't you want to play there?
0: 100%. All right, moving on. Let's get to the power poll now. We're starting off at the bottom, but starting off with a couple wins at the bottom. Uh, this feels weird to say. Texas State 27, ULM 19. Uh, Tyler Vegas? Vitt. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Vegas knows everything.
0: They,
2: know like, <laughs> they do.
1: We were sitting here last week, like, oh, I don't know, why is this line the way this line? Well, you know, here we are.
0: Yeah, seriously. Uh Tyler Vitt gets a start again at quarterback. Uh, I believe McBride warmed up but didn't dress out. Plays pretty solid, right? He, he hits uh the big play wide receivers. Javen Banks has had a big game, but it was really that down to down rushing attack that i think tyler just adds so much more to they didn't rush incredibly but he's able to do those design runs better and then he was able to hit the wide receivers he finished 16 to 30 262 through the air and Javen banks had a 62 yards um uh, marcel barbie had over 100 yards receiving that's all they needed and the defense played okay they weren't great ulm's not exactly the most explosive offense either but they played well enough and I think we've mentioned it before, but like, it's especially after last week, you wanted to see what this team looked like heading towards the end of the season, right? That's such a demoralizing loss. And this team's still clearly playing for the staff and still clearly playing for, uh, playing for pride. And it becomes, I'm curious what your thoughts are. If Texas state gets to, I'm trying to look at their, the remaining of their schedule. Cause like we projected them.
1: They get to five wins pretty easily. Georgia Southern, arkansas yeah. state those are two winnable games
0: which it's so frustrating it's so not frustrating interesting to kind of parse if they get to five wins that's what we projected them at in the magazine four or five does spav all stay after last week that looked like a no like there's no way yeah. right and now you know, uh, you
1: know for me as soon as Texas state put out that statement that said that they're still not covering cost of attendance. My, <laughs> the heat level on Spavadal's seat in my mind lowered. Cause it's like, what are you expecting him to do? Mm, mm, you know, like mm. what, What's the next coach going to do that Spavadol can't do if they're playing with the same deck of cards, right? I mean, you're right. putting them behind the eight ball and expecting them to go win seven, eight game. You know, we, we've talked about the comparison to UTSA and how they were like an extra point away from beating UTSA in 2020 and then you flash forward to now and it's like look how different these programs have gone you know i, I do think some of it's coaching and some of the talent but some of it's mm-hmm. just support like sure. TSA, jeff trailer just got a two million dollar raise right they're not they're not haggling over cost of attendance they're making their coach one of the highest paid g5 coaches in the nation
0: after giving, giving him a new facility
1: right have- in texas state's making internet statements about cost of attendance five years after saying that they were going to cover cost of attendance. So, right. Yeah. If he gets to five wins, I mean, I I think he gets another year, um, because this team is playing hard, you know, I mean, you take away that incarnate word loss, you know, maybe even that, that, that loss to Troy, right. If those two games go differently, we're we're having a completely different conversation about Texas state. So yeah, I just, you know, I almost feel bad for Jake and kind of what, he's having to deal with the Texas state and hopefully the admin kind of steps up that support as The Sun Belt gets more serious and serious. And then we finally get to actually grade a Texas state coach on merit and not on the obstacles that they're facing at that job.
0: Right. All right. Moving on the power pole, rice, uh, Charlotte 31, rice 24. Man, this one was a frustrating one. Mike Constantine again playing really well. It looks like, you know, they're, they've they kind of been quote-unquote forced to start him because Wiley Green's, of course, out, but he's been stepping up to the plate. He's it looks like they finally had consistent quarterback play. The difference in this one, and of course, Ari Broussard, uh, their best running game of the year, but the difference in this one, 12 penalties for 107. I believe two, uh, two drives for Charlotte ended in touchdowns that were extended by a pass interference defensively. And a personal foul, I believe, was another one. Of course, they the game went to overtime, they ended up losing. Uh, Broussard finishes with 186 on the ground. And like that is so frustrating because you get the game you needed to get, right? You finally have a good running game, you finally balance it out with a good passing game. And then you're just your defense, just clumsily, you know, undisciplined, just lets Charlotte hang around. And you could have had a pretty impressive win there. Charlotte's pretty good this year. And you just throw it away.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's two straight overtime losses for rice. You know, if, if they win those last two games, they're five and four and really in a conversation to get to the bowl eligible. So, I mean, it's just fine margins, right? In college yep. football, when things are this even, it, it, it's just fine margins. So you know, you finally got that balanced performance you were looking for where the, the offensive passing game and the offensive running game are kind of clicking on the same day. And like you said, they were just let down by mistakes and, Yeah, it's uncharacteristic for Rice, right? Like every kid that's on that team has like a 9.7 GPA, you know? And so, you know, some of that's just sloppiness sometimes. And it can get contagious like anything else. You make a couple mistakes early. Now all of a sudden you're thinking about it. Now you're, you know, you make a couple more penalties or the refs are looking a little bit more at it or something like that, so... Yeah, just one that got away from Rice yesterday, and that's kind of been the story of the season where they've had a couple of, you know, even that Arkansas game, 17-17 in the fourth quarter, right? They just, they've had a hard time closing games, and, you know, that's a, that's a part of the evolution that the Owls have to take.
0: Yep, and now they unfortunately get a hot-running hot, uh, hot running Western Kentucky who's won four straight since losing to UTSA, um, and then they finish with UTEP and La Tech, so not an easy way to end that year. So we'll see if they can uh, pull an upset or two moving on North Texas, 38 Southern miss 14. We said Southern miss was bad. I didn't think it was this bad Uh, credit. First credit to UNT. They ran the ball really well, almost 60 carries for over 300 yards. Uh, Matthew Bernie tweeted out. It was a funny tweet. Uh, The announcer was saying, uh, Oh, they're establishing the run to kind of get Get uh, get Austin Ani some passing. He's like, buddy, they're not they're not running the ball to get some passing. Like they're running the ball because they gotta run the ball. They
2: have to <laughs> run the ball.
0: <laughs> so I thought that was funny. But um, all of a sudden, Unt's kind of. In, in, I mentioned Jake Spavital, right? Uh, all of a sudden, Unt. I I I still think that there's probably a mutual breaking coming. But if here's 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 the scenario I put out. I'll put out to you guys if UNT gets to five wins and doesn't lose embarrassingly to UTSA on the last game of the season, what happens? Do you still break? Because at that point you're still having a losing record with Seth Luttrell and, you know, probably, probably see that as a, as a, as a come to terms with that. It's not working out. Or do you see that as a little, little, little rise in the curve again?
1: Yeah. For me, it depends on what his plan is at quarterback. Sure. Right. Like, I mean, I, I don't, you know, it can't be what they have right now. If they're trying to get to seven, eight, nine wins, it's just, it's just not going to, it's just not going to work. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I guess getting to five wins means he's got to either beat UTEP or UTSA, you know, somewhere in, you know, like somewhere Mm -hmm. in that, that realm. But I mean, if you look at the wins right now, I mean, it's Northwestern state, it's rice, it's Southern miss. Sure. Those aren't, I, I don't find that at all impressive. So I, I, I think the, The conversation probably still needs to be had in the off season, but the guys making those decisions and Seth Luttrell himself kind of know what this program is going to look like in 2022 more than we do. And so to me, it's just what that plan is. If the plan is status quo, then Seth needs to go and you got to start over and try to reboot that thing as you move into the American. If there are some plans in place to make some changes on the offensive side of the ball and bringing in some defensive talent, but yeah, maybe you give him another year and see you know see if he can kind of turn that thing around because when he's had good quarterback play, North Texas has been pretty really good, and mm-hmm. so it, it's figuring that spot out. And in the transfer portal, you would imagine you can go in there and find a guy who can do that.
0: Yeah. yeah so the other thing that I wanted to mention was, well, no, that was well, so so Ren we talked about the Ren Baker extension, right? And so you have UTEP coming to town uh, next week or yeah next week and so you wonder like i mean again i think utep is obviously going to be favored in that game i think utep does more things better than north texas does but we do know this is now a utep team that isn't i don't want to say isn't as good as we thought i think they're still pretty good but vulnerable right and so i don't know i'm just really wondering about uh, after that ren baker extension i thought seth latrell's you know, tenure was written on the wall, right? I thought it was like, I thought he was basically done um, because you don't extend an AD and not know what you're going to do with your football coach, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, So that could still be the case very much. And five wins probably isn't. Now six wins, again, if they upset UTSA or whatever, obviously there's a different conversation, but Mm -hmm. five wins, you're still like, "Uh, we were in the conference championship a couple years ago, right? That's still not that hurdle that, you're probably set yourself up to, to save your job with. So um, I just think it's an interesting, it just raises an interesting prospect now, because now that UTEP game isn't, you're not looking at the UTEP game going, oof, this could get bad, right? You're probably Uh looking at it like, "Eh, uh, we'll kind of see what happens here. So.
1: And I think that line's going to surprise us. I think that, maybe. I mean, I I think UTEP will be favored, but I don't think it'll be by as many points as a lot of people. I was about
0: to say minus three and and a half, minus four.
1: (laughs) Right. It'll be, it'll be pretty close. And it becomes kind of a big game, right? Like, is for UTEP, you win that game, and like, okay, maybe you are you are good, right? You mm-hmm. are a team that is worthy of of the praise we've been giving you. North Texas wins that game, and it's like, well, you know, like it says a lot about UTEP, and it also kind of opens that door to Seth Luttrell returning. So there's some sneaky storylines in that game next week.
2: And it's like, what does North Texas really have to lose at that point? I mean, they're going to give it their all just like TCU did against Baylor and see if they can pull that upset and it's on their homecoming. So
1: Mallory for you, I mean, as somebody around that North Texas program, a lot more than we are, you know, what, I guess, what are the feelings around like the student body and just people who care about that program in terms of like Latrell's kind of tenure and where it needs to go?
2: Yeah, I follow a lot of fan count accounts and stuff on Twitter, and I think they want him to go. I don't think there's any praise around him right now. I think that, you know, we've seen his ceiling against, you know, when mm. he had Mason Fine, we saw that great area. It's kind of like a smaller scale of, of what we saw with Gary Patterson and TCU. We saw how how, gr- how, great they can make this team and how great they can do with the program when they've got good players. But, you know, now that we've seen kind of the floor, I don't know if fans are really excited about him as much anymore I think they're kind of ready to move on honestly
0: yeah I think I think that with any fan base really I think there's a difference between no one's expecting to win 10 games every year right but there's there's a difference between like being entertaining and losing and just like being frustrating and losing
2: (laughs) right and like we talked about you know Craven you were at the Marshall game you saw that didn't even look like they wanted to play for him anymore even the players didn't really believe in that anymore you know and so you can kind of just come to the conclusion that does anybody really want him around anymore you know sure
1: and not and and that that's the worst place you want to be as a program is when people have kind of just tuned you out and they're waiting for the next thing right I mean to me attendance like show me how big that crowd is against UTEP and I'll tell Mm -hmm. you if Seth Trell should be back or not, right? Because if nobody's there, then I think that says everything that we yep. need to know about the program.
2: It's a homecoming yep. game too, so it should be packed. But again, we we'll have to wait and see.
0: We can have we can have uh, Mal Powell on the mic.
2: You will see Mal Powell on the mic and on the on the video <laughs> board dancing. So if you want to see that, yeah. hey. <laughs> make your make your trip head down over, the head over UNT. to. <laughs> Hopefully, it'll be uh, a good game regardless, though.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm excited. I'm I'm still interested in that game. Definitely. Yeah. All righty. Moving on. Tech was off, but some news did break from Don Williams at the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. They interviewed uh, Oklahoma defensive coordinator Alex Grinch and Baylor associate head coach Joey McGuire this past weekend. So two names to watch. Please don't hire Alex Grinch. Um, that's the only thing I got to say about that, because I don't think that's the guy the, they need right now. Uh, Joey McGuire, good job interviewing him at least. So we'll see if he gets the job, but that's, that's, that's more the direction they need to go as opposed to Alex Grinch, who still to me has to prove that he can make that Oklahoma defense good. So.
1: Ban, ban hiring defensive coaches, 2021. That's,
0: <laughs> that's my, that's see, I'm not class going class that class way because we're watching Dave Aranda do things at Baylor, but I say hire good defensive coaches, and I don't know if Alex Grinch is good. So, uh, anyway, moving on. Jeez, uh, we were optimistic with uh, North Texas win. Let's get back to pessimistic. Iowa <laughs> State thirty. Oh, actually, let me see. Let me get back in the TCU we mentioned. Uh, Sorry, that's Baylor. our real.
1: That's our real uh, wheelhouse there. Cynical.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> TCU we mentioned them at the top. Moving on to Texas. Iowa State thirty. Texas seven. Oh, buddy. Uh, so you're They're saying Hudson Carr
2: Floating at this point. I was gonna say.
0: So you're saying Hudson Card didn't fix everything? That's a shock, right? I don't know. <laughs> um, defense is still bad. Offensive line still bad. And then you put a freshman quarterback who's already looks shaky when he faces pressure against a good defense. And look what happens. Uh, uh, we we were optimistic about Sark, and I still am. I'm not pessimistic about Sark, but this he is the first coach now to lose four games straight right since what 2010 I believe it was that's again we can talk about players we can talk about talent we can do all that stuff that's still something that a Charlie Strong didn't do right who probably had a worse pool of talent that he had that that Sark had that Sark has to work with so maybe you know I'm not making any ultimatum judgments about him but I think this was the, the, this stretch of games finally is starting to look a little bit where you can start putting a little bit of the blame on the preparation because scheme wise, all that stuff. I still think he's one of the best coaches Texas could have got for as a play caller, all that stuff, but we've seen head coaches with worse talent pools, not do this. And yeah, I don't know that this was this was the first game where I'm a I officially like I can't you can't just keep blaming the talent right you just can't keep doing that over and over and week in and week out because you you saw this team at the beginning of the year play better just play better I'm not saying win but like you've seen them look better you've seen them look more poised you see them not collapse like Mallory said this looked like a team that was just imploding and now now it looks like B. John Robinson's getting hurt like I don't know he he limped out of that game and you're just like. I, all i was saying was like please let that guy go pro because i don't know if i can handle another year another year of him getting banged up um because teams finally know what to do with him so yeah i understand texas fans frustration though
1: yeah i mean Bajan robinson fumbled a ball
2: yeah first possession <laughs> right? Of, right of the game as soon
1: as Opening that hand. happened it was like well that's it you know like if if, if <laughs> Because, I, because there are times where you're like, how could Bajon Robinson even fumble? Like, what are, right. what are the things that would need to happen? Mack truck, you know, like what are some right. of the, the requirements needed for him to fumble the ball? And he fumbles and it's like, well, this Texas team isn't going to come out and play inspired football. And It really just looks like a team who's relying on a bunch of players that, that just have no self-belief and no, no confidence. And, and to your point, a lot of that is coaching. Uh, this coaching staff, the previous coaching staff, um, they've just lost a lot of football games. They've been averaged their entire college career, and they believe themselves to be averaged. There's no way that team showed up if given truth serum. You give truth serum to the 85 guys on the sideline, they didn't believe they were going to win that football game. They didn't, right. they didn't play like a team who believed they were going to win that football game. And if you're Texas, every single time you step on the field, you should believe you're going to win that football game because you're the more talented team. Mm-hmm. Um, even with all the talent issues we've talked about, man for man, Texas is a more talented team than Iowa state. And they got boat race yesterday. Like that wasn't even a, a close fun football game to watch. And yeah, like you said, you know, everybody's spent all this time with the, is it Hudson? Is it Casey? Is it Casey? Is it Hudson? It's probably not either. Right. You know, it's probably neither of those guys. And uh, we're going to have to judge Sark tremendously on the transfer portal. Um, this coming up offseason because you look at Michigan State right and I know they mm-hmm. just lost a game but you look at that team and it's like you look at their transfer portal guys and it's like that guy hit that guy hit, that guy hit. <laughs> who is the tra- who did Texas add in the offseason that's helped them get better this year you know like I know he couldn't do much recruiting but he could do some transfer portaling and all <laughs> those guys were misses and he can't do that again this year because I know their recruiting class looks good and, and, and Texas's recruiting class is always going to look good. Um, but he, they need some instant contributor guys. They need a wide receiver. They need a couple offensive linemen. They need a defensive tackle. They need a linebacker. They probably need another corner. And mm-hmm. I think we need to add quarterback to that list because I'm not sure either of those dudes are the ones that you really want leading the program moving forward, even if that offensive line doesn't prove.
0: Yeah, I think because – you you go into the offseason with both those guys, right? And to me, the reason why I was still a Casey Thompson guy wasn't that he was better than Hudson Card, right? I think I've mentioned it before. It's the short term memory loss. When Hudson Card missed that deep shot to Xavier Worthy, I was like, that might be his confidence right there, right? He's, I, and he just continued to go down. And he's a freshman, right? He's a retro freshman. He's not going to look. Polished. He's not gonna. There are only certain redshirt freshmen that come in missing a throw like that, missing on a couple shots, and then still holding that, holding steady. Right. He was. It's okay if he's not one of those guys. He could be next year. Who knows? But that was the reason why, to me, that Casey Thompson was the guy you stick with because he's not gonna remember the bad plays. He's gonna keep trying to do things, and he's not gonna. He's he's a little bit more mobile in the pocket. I know Cards more of a, a. probably north south runner uh, better north south runner but casey thompson can move around a little bit better in the pocket so yeah if they go into the offseason with those two guys you have malik murphy coming in which he's not going to unseat those guys as much as as much as i think malik murphy has promised he's not better than those guys right now you probably i mean one of those guys might leave if if they go into the offseason not knowing which one of them is going to be the starter and then if, if Sark is talking about, oh, Malik Murphy might get a shot, you probably like, I'm not going to be in a three-way battle. I'm out, you know? So you probably do need to add another another quarterback. And you mentioned the quarter, the, the recruiting class. Yeah, they're always going to look good, right? But if you don't win, they're going to look good for the next guy. And, you know, uh, we're seeing it at UTSA right now, right? Frank Wilson was recruiting well. They just didn't win. Now Jeff Trailer is looking great, right? Jeff Trailer's is winning with those guys. And he's still obviously recruiting well on his own. But that undefeated UTSA team is a bunch of Frank Wilson players. And so you have to show some signs of improvement now, despite uh, even if you are recruiting well, because the brand's going to do itself, right? You can plug in whoever head coach and they're going to produce a top 15, top 10 recruiting class. So yeah. So now, I don't know, like I said, towards the end of the year, it's starting for a while there. It was like, man, they just don't have the horses to keep it up. And it's like, at that, at some point you just got to turn the, turn the spotlight to whatever's happening. Luckily they get Kansas,
2: West Virginia and Kansas state.
0: But those last two teams, West Virginia, Kansas state aren't walks in the park. Right. They'll probably have a get right game against Kansas. Cool. All of a sudden you get, you get at Morgantown in West Virginia, and then we mentioned that, that weird uh, Kansas State team where they'll, you'll punch them in the mouth and they'll be like, cool, let's keep going. And you're like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> They're still fighting, so.
1: And bowl eligibility, and I know Texas fans will kind of scoff at this, but it's important for the Longhorns this year because they need that practice time. You know, they need those 18 extra practices. Um, no one's going
0: to, no one on this team's holding out to go pro. Like you need, yeah, right. you, you, you need, need to play that ball
1: game. You need that time together for the young offensive lineman, the young, just to figure out who you have and who you don't have. Right. It's yep. like an extra spring practice where you can kind of take some like, okay, we got these dudes can play. These dudes can't play. This is where we need to go figure out. Without that time, this coaching staff's going to be walking blind into, you know, a big part of the off season and stuff. And, and that's not going to be good. Uh, but yeah it's just has a team needed kansas more right i mean <laughs> like they 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 need that kansas game in, in a big big way
0: oh my god yeah i'm i will say i'm very curious to see who starts that kansas game because Sark has to know whoever starts is going to look good and probably going to be the guy from here on out
1: so and, and for fairness a lot of people around the program are saying casey thompson's thumb's pretty messed up and it okay. has mm-hmm. been since the end of the oklahoma game and he had 14 touchdowns three interceptions at the end of that Oklahoma game he's had three touchdowns three interceptions since then so mm-hmm. if he's not healthy it'll be Hudson Card and you know maybe we're kind of judging this offense with an injured quarterback maybe more than we should but it just at Texas it shouldn't be this bad I mean that's, yep. it's as simple as that you got too many resources it shouldn't be this bad
0: exactly all right moving on in the power pole, we mentioned UTEP uh their loss to UTSA SMU oh man Memphis 28, SMU 25. Look, Mike Craven, you you covered him a little bit uh, at Denton Ryan. Who's the Seth Hennigan starting for Memphis? And what did he do with that uh, Denton Ryan quarterback? Because I remember, I can say this candidly now because he's in college and I can be a little bit more critical of him. When they lost that sh- to Shadow Creek in that state title game, uh, that Denton Ryan team, I thought immediately, if they had a different quarterback, they win that game. And to his credit, they come back and win the next year, uh, state t- title with him at quarterback. But I was still like, okay, he looked a lot better. When I saw that he was starting at Memphis to start the year, I was floored. That did not look like the guy that should be starting a year one in college. And he's looked great. He's He played great. We'll talk about SMU, obviously, but there is a Texas tie with Memphis. Like He's played phenomenally for Memphis and he's been one of their key cogs we've talked about how Memphis has been down this year. He's not the reason they're down this year. He is, he's one of the reasons to have optimism. He's been so impressive and he more or less out Tanner Mordecai, which is <laughs> wild to say uh, going up against a better defense than Tanner Mordecai was like, I don't know. He finishes 34, 53, three, through the air. Like that was a, that was a pass. He threaded the needle to on, I think it was SM, uh, Memphis's second touchdown. Like, a small window and he hit it and I'm like I don't know where this guy came from but this is not the same quarterback that uh Jen Ryan had a couple years ago
1: you think he's like sending highlights and stats to his dad and is like hey man maybe you, <laughs> you should have let
0: you, me. you think yeah you think all I can do is throw to Jatavian Sanders no I
1: think we may have played a little too conservatively their father you know like that type, type of situation because I did always feel like, it was hard to even know how good of a quarterback he was because Denton Ryan was so good at defense. Running so the football, good. That like, they didn't, they didn't want to risk all that kind of stuff, right? It was right. like, we don't have to throw the ball 50 times a game. We're just going to run the football, play really good defense. We're going to go to the state title game. And it hurt them in some big games, right, when they would come mm-hmm. up against an opponent where they all of a sudden were equal. It was like, okay, where is that passing game? Um, so, yeah, I'm just curious what those conversations are like, because like, I know what kind of son I am, you know, and I would absolutely be <laughs> on my father about that. What's amazing to me is, you know, SMU just lost that game, and the leading rusher for Memphis had 10 carries for 17 yards. Yeah. You know, like, that was completely on Hennigan and that passing offense beating SMU. And, and to, to talk about the Mustangs, I, that team is not the same without Ulysses Bentley running mm-hmm. the football like yeah, we can talk about the defensive secondary, you know, Tanner Mordecai is really good and he played another really good game. I mean, he threw an interception, but he was 19 to 28, 262 yards. I mean, it, it, that was fine, right? That can win football game. Um, but they just don't have any, anybody to scare you uh, running the football. Trey Siggers is a good running back. Tyler mm-hmm. Lovini is a, is a solid running back, but neither of those guys are going to get 20 carries for 170 yards and really like change a game. And teams sure. are starting to figure out all you got to do is drop seven, drop eight guys, uh, make make SMU kind of slowly march that football down the field, and they'll get in too impatient to do so. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and so, yeah, they just have not been the same since they've been a balanced running. You know, you go back to that TCU game September 25th, and they had 300 yards rushing as a team, and they looked really, really good because of that. You know, yesterday they had 59 yards rushing. Yeah, you know, That's against a Memphis team that allowed – you know, sincere mccormick and utsa to run the football you know for record-breaking you know numbers you know mm-hmm. so um, just not a good running team they've lost balance and that's cost them the last two weeks and, you know and, and frankly this is what smu's done the last
0: couple of years
1: you know they they start out six and oh seven and oh the last mm-hmm. few years and then they kind of limp to the finish line mm-hmm. you know that's something to pay attention to and talk about um, for smu
0: sure and of course naturally i think the the head coaching comp rumors are going to be Hell swirling yeah. around this program. Like they're hearing their head coaches linked to this job and that job. And like,
1: no, 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 no. Ish, you didn't hear Sonny Dykes said that, that <laughs> that's more about the person asking those questions than it, right. is, than it is about <laughs> anything else because, you know, they're not doing that.
0: I'll tell you this much. The, the one rumor that did come out that isn't about the person asking the questions is the fact that Sonny Dykes has had a contract extension on his desk that he has not signed yet. Like SMU has offered an extension as of, I believe, Friday. Uh, some I forgot who reported it first, but I th- let me see, football scoop, how I'm looking at it right now. Uh, of Friday, yeah. However, the report adds that uh, Dykes hasn't signed it yet. Like you could then. literally put all of this to bed. You don't, yeah. you, don't have, you don't have to do the full Jeff trailer, right? You don't have to do the whole like in front of the team, you know, talk mm-hmm. about, you know, drop the social video, but you could sign it. And then maybe negotiate behind the scenes if you want to, but like you could quell so much. And it's obvious he's flirting with some other jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like,
1: it, and, it's, and it's obvious that it has to be a distraction. I mean, these 100%. 100%. Are, these are human beings, right? Like, coaches talk about all the time how like any little distraction can mess everything up. And they're talking about like smaller things than interviewing for other jobs or not some you know, like right? these, these guys aren't video game players, you know, mm-hmm. like they read stuff, they walk around campus, they have parents, they have brothers and friends who are, Hey man, is Sonny Dykes going to be around next year? Hey, what's going on with this? Right. What's going on with that? That, that doesn't help. You know, maybe it doesn't cost you games. Maybe it's not the real reason you've lost to Memphis and lost to Houston, but it absolutely doesn't help. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah. you know, I, I think it's just one of those things where you know, this program kind of fallen you know, they didn't face much adversity. And all of a sudden they, they faced some last week. And that one loss became two losses. And that's something coaches talk about all the time is, you know, one loss can become multiple ones and you can't let that happen. And SMU did. And to me, it's just, it's back to, to small things, not being able to run the football and not being able to stop people from passing the ball. Um, because at, at some point you got to at least get pressure or something. And they just, they could not make Seth in get uncomfortable at all yesterday.
2: And those mistakes too. I mean, they had seven penalties for 60 yards and three turnovers too. I mean, I don't know if the, how much that comes from being distracted by all these coaching rumors, but it definitely shows on mm-hmm. the field.
0: Just a lack of discipline, right? Just yeah. a lot like mental lapses. I mean, here's another thing. They were, they allowed five sacks. Tanner Mordecai got sacked five mm-hmm. times. He doesn't get sacked. Like it's just like those little, I mean, I read the final score 28, 25, but like SMU trailed 28 to 10. Like this was like, they had to come back into this game to lose by three. So I don't know. I should also mention that the, the contract they offered would make him the highest G5 head coach, highest paid G5 head coach in the country. They would basically bump him up to about 4 million a year, right? That, that again, it comes down to if he wants to stay there, smu is doing their part to make that happen yeah. and he can't talk about oh it's about the people asking the question no you there's literally something he could do to, to that was the criticism bed. for yeah there that was the criticism for a very brief moment of jeff trailer right it was like he could literally just tweet out that he's he's staying sure enough boom there's this big announcement right he put it to bed he could do the same thing sunny dykes could do the same thing so we'll see um and again it's not even saying he can't talk about other jobs or anything, but don't say that this isn't my fault or this is other people doing it. No, don't put the blame on other people, right? There, there are ways to say like, oh, I'm, more fo- I'm focused on this job. I'm doing this season, whatever. You could coach speak your way out of that, but he's being antagonistic about the mm-hmm. idea of, or the open fact that he's <laughs> looking at other jobs. So uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes towards the end of the year. Uh, moving on to the power poll. Craven, you called it trap game. Houston, 54, uh, South Florida, 42. I, I kept looking at the score. I didn't want to keep, I didn't want to turn over to this game, but I kept looking at the scores. Like, why is this game so close? Why is this game so close? And man, this was, I believe, a three point game at halftime. I think, like, it was,
2: Yeah, three or two point game at half. And I'm like, look, I didn't watch the first half, but I'm looking at the score and I'm like, Oh, I guess Craven was right was I was like say. am I going to watch this game
0: like, <laughs> like, I was so frustrated like I was like I don't want to watch South Florida but like am I gonna have to watch this game luckily I think this game came at the right time because Clayton Toon was feeling himself again 21 26 385 three touchdowns they ran the ball insanely well and for the first time the defense was kind of the one that was on the back foot for for Houston um yeah and the offense was slinging this was it kind of looked like a Dana Holgerson throwback team where they're just like, all right, we're going to give up 30 points. We got to score 50. And they did.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, begrudgingly saying, I guess Craven is right is a rite of passage that many people <laughs> have gone through over the 13 years of my career. we will just add Mallory uh, to that list there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, yeah, you, know, you come off a really emotional win. Uh, And then you got to go all the way out to Florida and it can just, it can just be a a weird thing to do it. And then again, special teams, they allowed a hundred yard kickoff return for the second straight week. They're going to have to figure that out. That's not, Mm -hmm. that's not something you can do really well, but you know, sometimes you have to win games with your B game. You know, like that's just, that's just something you're going to have to do. You're going to have to play sometimes on the road and it's going to get ugly. Their defense had been showing up every single week, you know, and then against South Florida, it didn't, uh, but shout out Clayton too, and We talked about it again last week. Him and Nathaniel Dell are, you know, maybe the best one, two quarterback wide receiver combination going right now. Those guys are hot. And then Alton McCaskill, Don Henry had a really big game. So um, just a balanced uh, offensive attack. Defense was where the concern was. They had been mm-hmm. getting a lot of pressure. They had been making life really difficult for quarterbacks in the previous six, seven, eight weeks. Uh, that wasn't as true against South Florida. So, Coach Belk and that defense has to kind of clean that up. But the good news for Houston is, you know, they're eight and one. They're on an eight-game winning streak. They don't play Cincinnati in the American. They can kind of limp to this finish, right? They just have to yep. win football games. They're not trying to get into a college football playoff and you know all that kind of stuff. They're just trying to get to the American Conference Championship game, and then you can figure out something from there. Upsets happen all the time. So, you know, they got Temple next week, three and six. They end with UConn, one and eight. The only real tough test left is Memphis, and that's a, you know, a Friday night game at home, uh, so it stacks up pretty well for Houston to kind of ride this all the way to an 11-1 finish and in, to the American. They're just going to have to play cleaner football, and that includes special teams.
0: Yep, and like I said, Clayton Toons hitting his stride now looks healthy. I mean, 400-yard game last week, three hundred uh, uh, upper 300 game this week. Yeah, I mean, this, their quarterback's hitting the stride at the right moment. They won games differently at the right uh, at the right moment. Like, I think this is a Houston team kind of hitting its peak right at the right moment towards the end of the year. Um, probably going into a tough game against the Cincinnati at the, you know, in the championship or something. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, I, I, good call on that trap game. I did not expect to be paying attention to that one as late as I was. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, that's going to do it. I mean, three, we mentioned AM, two, Baylor, UTSA, one. Uh, probably Baylor and AM will, will flip. Uh, maybe Houston, too. Maybe Houston might jump them, too. We'll see. Um, but he, no reason for UTSA to be uh, any lower than one, still unbeaten in the state. And I think this weekend really shocked me. I was looking at this weekend kind of going, eh well it's not really that interesting maybe uh, baylor tc or whatever right and there's been a, there was a lot to talk about right smu loses houston gets bloodied a little bit of course tcu upsets baylor utsa destroys utah like there was a lot going coming from this weekend that we i didn't expect to see at least so the games we were excited pleasant.
2: for and thought they were going to be great weren't so right? great and then the games <laughs> we weren't excited for and didn't want to pay attention to happened to be one of the best games of the of the week yeah
1: i don't know he for anybody that. out there listening anybody out there listening who's like ufc fans that's a pretty common occurrence right like the cards <laughs> that are like stacked with championship matches are like man this is gonna be great i'm gonna spend 80 dollars on this they end up being duds and then the ones that are free or like maybe lacking that star power end up just right. being like bangers throughout the night or B- whatever bfs1 that,
0: pre-card or whatever
1: <laughs> right that's that's what college football does to you those weekends where you look at the schedule and you're like meh maybe I can go do some errands or go hang out with my family or, you know, kind of skip this weekend. Those end up being the weekends where it's like, Holy cow, what happened? And <laughs> we then did that again, man. It's the, it's the, it's the best sport in the world for that reason. Oh yeah, definitely.
0: So uh, yeah, we'll be previewing this last, uh, this next week on Wednesday. I hope, I hope, I hope nothing happens or we have to do another emergency podcast. It uh, does not look like that's coming anytime soon. I think the coaches that were on the hot seat bought themselves a little bit of time. Uh, hopefully, Sunny Dykes maybe announces an extension to stop this SMU stuff uh, soon, but we'll probably see, probably won't happen. Um, and uh, yeah, tech, don't interview Alex Grinch again. So we'll be, <laughs> we'll be back Wednesday to preview the week. Thank you guys for listening.